Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, things are heating up in China right now. I have an extended rant about the economy to discuss with you. And at the same time that Donald Trump is saying, whoa, whoa, the stock market's tanking. I guess we'll put off the trade war until December. And so suddenly the market goes right back up again, right? At the same time that's happening, the people of China, or at least the people of Hong Kong, are saying, you know, we kind of like this democracy thing. We'd like to hang on to at least some pieces of it. And the Chinese government is saying, no. Didn't we have this conversation back, you know, around the time of Tiananmen Square? What was that, 91, as I recall, or thereabouts anyway? Didn't we already have this conversation? We're not going to have it again. This is an autocratic regime that does not believe in democracy. We do believe in capitalism. You know, capitalism's good stuff, but capitalism doesn't require democracy. So that's going on right now. The riot police in Hong Kong are just, you know, going full bore against the democracy, pro-democracy protesters in the Hong Kong airport. And they're starting to drag people out and arrest them. And, you know, this is going to continue. And I have a horrible feeling it's going to get worse. I tweeted out last night, I think it was, some video in Shenzhen. Shenzhen is a town about, I don't know, 40 miles maybe from Hong Kong. I've been there. Louise and I were there back in the, um, it was in the early 90s, as I recall. And uh, they were just starting at that time. In fact, it might have been a little before that. They were just starting at that time to experiment with pseudo-capitalism, state-regulated capitalism, in Shenzhen. It was a special territory that had gotten where they were giving licenses to individual companies to start factories based on a capitalistic model. And so Louise and I were in Hong Kong, and we took this tour, you know, tour bus to Shenzhen. It was like an hour drive from Hong Kong. And I remember one of the things I most vividly remember is we went to the fanciest restaurant in town, which was a dump. The roads weren't even paved. I mean, it was a town of maybe, I don't know, 15,000 people at the time. And they were building factories all around it. Complete poverty, dirt roads. The fanciest restaurant in town, there was an elderly woman, an American who was there. And Louise had to help her use the bathroom because there were no toilets. There was just holes in the concrete floor to do your business into. 
And this woman needed Louise to hold her so that she could squat. And that was China back then, right? Well, Shenzhen is now like more modern and more built up and more industrialized than any American city. It's one of the places where a lot of Apple products are made, among other things. And, and Shenzhen has uh, both a high-speed rail and a major highway that connects it to Hong Kong via a bridge and a tunnel. And the video that I retweeted last night was what looked like riot police or maybe army massing huge numbers in Shenzhen, presumably preparing to come into Hong Kong today. Well, what I tweeted out last night was keep an eye on this. This is going to get ugly or words to that effect. And sure enough, it is. In the meantime, the question is uh, still being asked. Last night or yesterday afternoon, the FBI raided Jeffrey Epstein's island. Why didn't they do this before? number one. And number two, and now that Bill Barr has, I mean, he's the head of the Department of Justice. The Department of Justice runs the FBI. Now that the FBI is uh, searching Epstein's island, is Barr gathering together all of the evidence? And why would he do that? You know, I asked the question, why did J. Edgar Hoover do that? Why did J. Edgar Hoover gather together all the evidence he could find about every politician in America, anything negative, and he never released it and he never prosecuted on it? Why did he do that? I think we all know the answer. He blackmailed people. Now, I'm not suggesting that Bill Barr is planning on blackmail, but just having, you know, just for certain people, just knowing like maybe even Donald Trump, just knowing that Bill Barr has the pictures of you doing things that are illegal, to say the very least, might be something that would significantly enhance, shall we say, Bill Barr's political profile. So what do you think Bill Barr is going to do with these photos of the wealthy and powerful people that were seized in Jeffrey Epstein's apartment? It was a one-day story. I retweeted that from the New York Times yesterday. And why is it that they're only going after the ones in his... Lolita Island now. I also want to get into the economy here. In fact, actually, I'm going to get into that after the break. I think it's probably be a, a better time for a rant like that. But, you know, our economy is, frankly, I think on the verge of something really, really bad. And we'll see how long Trump can keep pumping this thing by pouring money out of the Fed. But the rest of the world is starting as they slide into negative interest rates. I want to extend that conversation. They're running out of tools to deal with a problem that is almost certainly coming. This is the Tom Hartman Program. The really important story right now, in 2008... With this meltdown, we saw the result of three decades of neoliberalism in the United States and Europe, what we used to call Reaganism here in the U.S., and they used to call Thatcherism in the EU and the U.K. And these neoliberal policies really shook the world's financial system. I mean, the deregulation of the banks that happened in 1998, 1999, and 2000 led right to among other things, but led right to this banking crisis of 2008, the international financial crisis. 
But rather than resolving the problem by repudiating neoliberalism, including its emphasis on more money for rich people, less money for workers, no unions, big tax breaks for the wealthy, deregulation of corporations from deregulating their pollution to deregulating banking, to so-called free trade and shipping jobs offshore. These are all neoliberal policies. This is all at the core of Reaganism. Keep in mind, Reagan negotiated NAFTA, proposed it, in fact, and Thatcherism. And rather than repudiating this ideology, this neoliberal ideology, what's been happening is that the world's central banks have been holding the economy together since 2008 with bubblegum and bailing wire. I wrote a book called Crash of 2016, pointing out that the crash of 2008 is not over yet. We're still in it. And the only way that the central banks have been able to hold the economy together is dropping interest rates lower and lower and lower. And now it's reached the point where one of the largest banks in Denmark will pay you to take out a mortgage. Honest to God, not making this up. You borrow $100,000 from this bank to buy a house, and 10 years later, over the 10 years that you pay it back, at the end of 10 years after you've made all your payments, you will have only paid back around $990,000. It's a 0.5% negative interest rate. Seriously, negative interest rates. Now, the bank is charging some fees to cover their costs, and I get that, you know, and I'm not talking about, you know, the banking business here. What I'm pointing out is that you can't go any farther than this. You can drop interest rates to stimulate the economy from 6% to 5%, from 5% to 4%, from 4% to 3 or 2 or 1%, and even down to 0%. But when you start going into negative interest rates, which the European Central Bank has been in for a while now and Japan is flirting with and we're on the edge of, when you start going into negative interest rates, when you go beyond about a half a point, you can't go any farther. Countries can't afford it. Banks can't afford it. It's just the whole system collapses. We are right on the edge of this thing. And this is an absolutely unsustainable business model, and it shows us how central banks, desperate to stop the world from sliding back into the crisis of 2008, are failing. And now with Trump hassling Jay Powell, the head of our central bank, chairman of the Fed, into dropping interest rates here in the U.S., I mean, it's like lemmings, you know, the entire fiscal and economic group is like heading for the edge, apparently enthusiastically. Meanwhile, Donald Trump is fanning the flames of racial hatred. We've got a couple that committed a murder-suicide here just up a little bit north of us. Last week, this was an elderly couple saying, we can't afford the medical bills. We're going to take our own lives. Called the Sheriff's Department. Donald Trump is trying to get a labor secretary, the son of Anthony Scalia, a lawyer who has spent his entire career trying to destroy labor unions in charge of the Department of Labor, the Department of Labor whose mandate is to support labor. Oh, no, no, no. This, this, guy, this guy is the lawyer for Walmart. Right. I mean, he literally was the lawyer for Walmart. Margie in Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin. Hey, Margie, what's up? Hi. I'm going to read you something that is going to send a chill down your... Um, it has to be very brief was, if you're going to read it. It's very brief. Okay. This was in Freight Waves, which is a trucking industry magazine, mm-hmm. dated July 11th. The trucking industry is officially in a recession, according to data tracked by ACT Research, 
we've had two consecutive quarters of negative growth. Wow. We are already in a recession. Yeah. The trucking industry is always, always the first indicator. Right. And I will tell you, it is miserable out here. Rates are down. Finding any freight is horrible. You're a trucker, a Margie? Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of reasons for this. One, the closing of the auto plants. And two, the weather. We're supposed to be contracted to do 10 loads of corn a week. We've done three. And that's because of the flooding across the Midwest from climate change? The flooding and climate change. Wow. There are fields out there that are still lakes, Tom. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen the pictures. Wow. So it's like a double whammy. It's all coming together at one time. And Margie, you're absolutely right. Trucking is one of the most famous leading indicators. You know, trucking and housing are the two big leading indicators. I would strongly suggest you read the article. It will terrify you. Yeah. Okay. Margie, thank you. Thanks for the thoughts. Tom Harbin here with you. This uh, Morgan Ford writing for SupplyChainDive.com. Act research showed two quarters of negative sector growth. DAT reported a 50% decline in year-over-year freight spot market loads. And the CAS freight index for May 2019 saw declining freight shipment levels. This is what the trucker caller earlier, she called in and she said, we were supposed to pick up 10 loads of corn and we're only picking up three because of the climate change, you know, has wiped out the Midwest. On top of that, you've got basically this, we're in a recession. So, yeah, fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff. You're listening to Tom Hartman. So, Sean, my producer was telling me how one of her neighbors has uh, a medical condition that causes him to, um, you know, have a difficult time sleeping. He's getting up two, three times every night to take a walk. And, and just it's just, you know, he's he's really struggling with it. And uh, the neighborhood got together and suggested, hey, you should try CBD oil. And he did. And it's helping. You know, I have recently discovered this. Louise and I use New Leaf Natural CBD oil ourselves. CBD oil doesn't get you high. It's made from hemp rather than pot. So, you know, I mean, they're both in the same family, but hemp doesn't have the, the, the THC that gets you high stuff. C- CBD oil uh, doesn't get you high, but it does have potent pain relieving and anti-inflammatory pro- properties. And the brand that I trust the most is New Leaf Naturals. It's NU Leaf Naturals. New Leaf Naturals is the highest quality CBD oil on the market. It's 100% organic, highly concentrated, no additional additives, grown in the U.S., and the only ingredient is hemp. So it's pure and simple, and it works. Go to newleafnaturals.com. That's N-U-Leafnaturals.com, and you can save 30% and get free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, spelled T-H-O-M. Go to newleafnaturals.com and use the code TOM. For premium cannabinoid wellness, there's only one place, newleafnaturals.com. Stephanie, in Chicago, I'm assuming you're listening to WCPT? No, I'm in, uh, actually, I'm in Kankakee County, which is about 60 miles south of Chicago. Oh, okay. cool. and I want to just give you a quick view of rural community. My community has 900 people. A lot of communities around here don't have over 1,000, maybe 2,000 people. Mm-hmm. What's killing rural America 
is corporate farmers. We call them big ag farmers. The big ag farmers have bought up 61% of my town. Whoa. And that means, because their taxes are next to nothing, that takes that's, it has literally killed our tax base. We don't have a police department, fire department. Our roads are in terrible shape. We don't have enough money. Our school doesn't have computer classes, and we have to hire a gym teacher, a sub, whenever we get a hold of one. The pay rate for teachers is next to nothing. We don't have stores, and we got to drive 20 miles in a Kankakee for a big store. Now, when you go across rural America, you also, my husband's a truck driver, so the truck industry is in trouble. That's where he got out. If you go around to America, which is what America's 6, 70% rural, 70, 75% rural, a lot of towns don't have a regular grocery store. They have a dollar store as their main way to shop, which means they don't get fresh fruit and meat and vegetables. Right. Food deserts. We all, yeah. It's not just the black communities in Chicago. It's all over the country. Food deserts are everywhere. Yep. So everybody eats bad. Health is bad. You may not have a hospital anywhere near you, and you're eating bad, so your health is bad. You don't go to the doctor. The job market is low. And you also have the problem with Internet and phone service. If you go to a lot of rural communities, you'll see people walking the streets because they have to leave their house to get a phone signal. And it's not, huh. very, it's not always a very good one. Um, when Obama had set aside millions of dollars for rural communities to get Internet, it never came. Mm. AT&T was one it was supposed to do Illinois, and they never touched any rural area. So you have people that don't have Internet, and when they took out all of the unemployment offices, people and most jobs are online. Many communities don't have libraries to can go online to the library to you know fill out a job application. Rural America is really being destroyed by corporate America, yeah. be it the big ass farmers, be it the big ass stores. So when Walmart comes in, the small stores go. You got Home Depot and all of them that are killing all the you hardware know stores, um, yeah. hardware stores. Yeah. So rural America is suffering north and south. Yeah. And the outlook doesn't look any better. Now, Stephanie, is it your experience that this started in the 80s? I remember Reagan stopped enforcing the Sherman Antitrust Act in 1982. And the result of that was this explosion of mergers and acquisitions, uh, particularly in the ag industry, in the ag sector. And that led to all these family farms being lost in the 1980s to the point that I think it was 88, 89 that Willie Nelson was doing farm aid where, yeah. you know, he was out yeah. there in rural America actually raising money so the farmers could keep their houses. But millions, yeah. I mean, or hundreds of thousands anyway, of family farms lost their homes. The big ag corporations, they would drop commodity prices just before the, you know, just before harvest, drop those prices so people couldn't even pay back the loans they'd taken out after they'd harvest and sold their product. And so then they were in trouble. So then they would have to sell their homes. And then the big ag companies would come in literally and buy their homes and offer to rent the house back to them if they'd work on the farm that they no longer own. Is that still going on? And is that the basis of a lot of this? Well, it started out like that. They don't even rent the homes to these people anymore. You have hundreds of vacant farm homes hmm. where the farmers are put on that are renting their homes. The other part is, now people don't know this, we think our farmers feed America. They do not. Illinois farmers feed 0.02% of actual food. These big farmers grow for the commodity market overseas. They grow corn, wheat, and soy. Right. The meat all of our meat is on these big meat farms. We have actually we have two pig farms out in this area. They stink like I don't know what, but you never see the pigs outside. So the way we're farming and we're not feeding America, 
and the way that our stuff is being imported. Now, I drove from Kankakee County down to Champaign County, two-hour drive. I went all the way to Indiana, and I went two hours west. There were no farms up because of the flooding. Mm-hmm. I mean, some tried, and you can see everything got roared. And so, like she said, the trucking industry, a lot of people, we have a lot of trucking industry down this area. They're not hiring, which is unheard of in the trucking industry. Right. To show you how bad it is down there, people are having a struggle paying six and $700 rent. Wow. Because the best people can do is work at fast food or these retails, and they're getting minimum wage, and not getting 40 hours a week. There's no health care. There's no health care for miles in some towns. You have to drive 20 miles to a hospital if you're sick. A lot of rural areas. Oh, and when the big ag farmers don't pay taxes, the schools don't make money. The roads go down. Kankakee County is one of the places that none of the small towns in Kankakee have a police station. If you get arrested, you have to go to the county jail, too. Right. Uh, Stephanie, you said that over 60% of your town is now owned by the big ag corporations and they're not paying taxes. How do they get out of paying taxes if they own the property? I, I'm assuming you, you mean they own houses, they own land, they own businesses. How do they get away with not paying taxes? They don't live in our community. They live somewhere else. They live in... Uh, oh, so the income, the profits that are being made from this stuff is not subject to local income taxes. But, it, but they are paying property taxes, aren't they? Yeah, but the property taxes are less than one-third of what... Okay, I'll give you an example. A friend of mine has 40 acres she pays, and hers is ag, and she pays 2000 Now, if you were to pay that and it wasn't ag, that would be the five to 6000 in taxes a year, okay? Right. Or somewhere around five. Now, if you got a farmer that's got 2000 acres, and he may be paying 1200 because even when they they get tax breaks from being farmers, you know, big ag you know, sure. farms are less taxed. But when the big ad companies get it, they're also getting tax breaks and subsidies from the government. So they're paying even less. Ah, wow. So they are killing rural America. And you know what? I almost don't feel sorry for them with what Trump is doing because they voted on him. And now we've got soy fields and we've got where the soy is in some of the places. Now, I've seen some people growing soy. I don't know where they're going to sell it at. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, the Chinese like, just said no more. Yeah, so I don't know. America is sinking, and it's the big cities are doing. If, if there's any growth, it's in the larger cities, but there is definitely zero and even negative growth in rural communities. And like you said, internet service. There's the unemployment offices. A lot of they close half of the post offices. You know, so you have to drive miles to get anything delivered, and. It's sad. America is, the farmers were the backbone of our countries, and our truck drivers were following them because everything comes on a truck. And now that we don't have things coming on trucks, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, it's, it's, people are scared. And I know white people are scarier than we are, but it's scary. Yeah. And Monsanto is also causing problems because the farmers have to buy from them. And another thing, the banks. This is the last thing I'm going to say. The banks, let's say you're a farmer and you need a $40,000 tractor. They won't loan less than a hundred thousand. So you got to get a hundred thousand to get a forty thousand dollar tractor. Wow! And you have to buy something with that hundred thousand. You just can't put, give it back. To so it's like enforced indebtedness. That's yeah, astonishing, that's Stephanie. I'm sorry, we're running out of time here. The the, the the music has started, but thank you so much for the call and for all that information. It's great talking with you. Thank you so much, Stephanie.
You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. I'm telling you, we have the smartest listeners in America and the most experienced and the most knowledgeable. It is such a, an honor and a pleasure to hang out with you people every day. Fred in Grass Valley, Oregon. Hey, Fred, what's on your mind? Well, hi, Tom. I just want to uh, give you a little more perspective on family farms in rural mm-hmm. America. And I want to let you know that right now we're getting... Same price for a week right now that we did when you could buy a pickup truck for three or four thousand dollars. Oh, interesting. And you know it's price. Right, and nowadays a pickup truck is twenty grand or more. No way. Hey, no, you're way behind. Oh, really? Thirty, forty. That cost you sixty thousand dollars. Whoa! You can tell it's been a long time since I've even looked at pickup truck prices. That's yeah. nuts. Yeah. Anyway, I come from a county where seventy-five percent of the voters voted for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. <laughs> I just want to let you know that it's tough out here on the farm. And we got here in this county that we're at. When I went to school here, we had 375 kids in high school. Now we have 100. And it takes a 7th and 8th grade to do that. Wow. Wow. Middle America is being wiped out. And it's being wiped out by Republican policies. And yet they continue to vote Republican because they watch Fox News. It's insane. Fred, thanks for the call. looks like the economy is unraveling. This bank in Denmark now offering mortgages where you pay back less money than the bank gives you to begin with. And uh, literally negative interest rates. And, you know, Trump basically pushing Jay Powell in a direction that could end up there, how the keepers of our economy can't hold it together. So we'll continue our conversation about those things. But I want to go beyond that and get into what Reaganism, also known as neoliberalism, Keep in mind, the Reagan administration negotiated the NAFTA treaty. The Reagan administration helped bring us so-called free trade, global free trade, the World Trade Organization, all these kind of things. And I know Bill Clinton gets blamed for it, but it, you know, it was Reagan who put this thing together. And then George Herbert Walker Bush actually finished the negotiations and came up with the final NAFTA. So whether it is the so-called free trade aspect of neoliberalism, whether it is the union-busting aspect of neoliberalism, keep in mind this was going on in the European Union, or at least in the UK with Margaret Thatcher starting in 1978. It started here with Reagan in 1980. And now with the uh, Eurozone, it spread across the European continent. This idea that neoliberalism is the way of the future. This is the way economies should work. And these neoliberal policies have just decimated economy after economy after economy. The neoliberal idea that the way you stimulate an economy is by giving more money to rich people. I mean, back in the 19th century in the United States, this was referred to as horse and sparrow economics. If you feed the horses more oats, there'll be more undigested oats in their poop, and the sparrows will eat those and get fatter. And this was back in the days when the late 1800s when this was being sold to the American people is why we need, you know, to help out the rich people and keep wages down. Because the more you give to rich people, the better ultimately the sparrows, the little people are. And this was back in the day when, you know, horses were the principal means of transportation and pretty much everybody had seen sparrows pecking away at horse poop looking for undigested seeds. Today, most people don't, you know, say it's horse and sparrow economics. They go, what? So you have to say, oh, it's trickle-down economics. This was, you know, Ronald Reagan's contribution to it. Trickle-down economics turn working people into peons and tell them it's raining. So 
this has been turned into an art form, by and large, by neoliberal parties in Europe, by the, by the conservatives in the UK, and by the Republicans here in the United States. And you know, Trump is the you know one of the leading advocates of neoliberal policy. And so now you've got. Uh, keep in mind, neoliberal policy is something that is beloved by very rich people, not just nor you know, not just marginally wealthy people, but very rich people, because neoliberal policy makes them richer and richer and richer. We have seen since the late 80s over $17 trillion in additional wealth go to the top 5% of Americans, while the bottom 80% of Americans have lost over a trillion dollars in personal wealth. It's a massive transfer of wealth from middle class and working families to the very rich. That's neoliberalism. So the really rich people, like people who can afford to live in the Hamptons, right, where, you know, a, a starter home is, is a few million bucks, are upset. These poor snowflakes, this uh, and, and raw story here. Uh, supporters of President Donald Trump who live in the wealthy Hamptons in New York bitterly complained to the New York Post over the weekend that they can't openly declare their allegiance to the president for fear of reprisals and boycotts to their businesses. One boutique owner from Southampton told the Post, for example, that Hampton Trump fans have to remain in the closet because it's like you have this disease and people want to run away from you. A Trump-loving builder from West Hampton, meanwhile, tells the paper that he actually fears getting beat up or worse if he publicly acknowledges how much he loves the president. A Sag Harbor art consultant says, we live out in the land of the First Amendment, but if you want to stay in business out here, you have to keep your opinions to yourself. We are hitting a very dark and strange place in this country. Oh, these poor snowflakes, these poor rich people, they're concerned that Donald Trump has exposed neoliberalism as a scam that was sold to white America through the vehicle of racism, essentially. And this is what's going on. The white rural population, the majority white population living in rural America, has been wiped out by neoliberalism, by Reaganism, by Thatcherism. The opioid crisis, falling populations, job losses, rising suicide rates. I mean, Trump is destroying rural America. It's pretty bad. 20% of the population, 46 million Americans, are being left behind in, quote, middle America. The Axios newsletter today talking about these communities face increasingly high barriers to education, wealth, and health. If you live in rural America right now, if you were born, grew up, or now reside in rural America, throughout your life, this is from Axios, throughout your life you have been more susceptible to poverty, lower education, illness, and even death than your counterparts who live in cities. And yet, Fox News keeps telling you, you're the real Americans. You're the ones the Republicans care about. If you live in rural America, right? This is the pitch of, of Fox News. No, Republicans don't care about you if you live in rural America. Republicans just want to rip you off and give your money to fat cat financiers and, and you know, people like Jeffrey Epstein and Donald Trump. As a kid, if you grew up in rural America, chances are you live farther away from a doctor or hospital and got less exercise. You're more likely to live in a school desert, having to travel long distances to get to school. And if you did get a college degree, you're far more likely to be deeply in debt than, than kids who grew up in the city. As an adult, if you live in rural America right now, as a result, in my opinion, of neoliberal policies of Reaganism, continued by three Republican and two Democratic presidents, we are still operating in the neoliberal environment. We have not gone back to Keynesian economics. 
Keynesian economics was stopped in the 1980s by Reagan. It built the middle class in America. It rebuilt the middle class in Europe between the 1930s and the 1980s. But Reagan put a stop to this. And the result of this, very straightforward, if you're living in rural America, you're more likely to suffer from obesity. Now, this is white rural America, why, right? You're more likely to suffer from obesity. You're more likely to suffer from mental health issues. You're more likely to have diabetes. You're more likely to get cancer. And you're more likely to get addicted to opioids. You're more likely to know people who committed suicide. Your community's economy still hasn't recovered from the 2008 recession. If you're older, you're more likely to die a preventable death. And you probably don't have a place to grow old near your family and friends. And this has got white people in America freaked out. The rural white people that Fox News preaches to and right-wing hate radio preaches to. In every rural community in America, you can get right-wing hate radio. You can't get progressive radio, but you can get right-wing hate radio. And Trump is like trying to sell to these folks, these poor people who are wearing these maggot hats, he's trying to sell the idea that it's all about race. Mike Mail's writing over in the Los Angeles Times. Now, this was back in 2017. This was two years ago, after Trump had just become president. At a recent rally in Ohio, Trump used lurid language to claim that gang members slice and dice beautiful girls like animals. Last week, his administration strengthened his crackdown on sanctuary jurisdictions. It's obvious to anyone who's listening that when Trump talks about this terrifying other, he's really talking about non-white people. So this guy, you know, Mike Mail's this author for the Los Angeles Times, he looks at the CDC statistics from 2011 to 2015 for 2,962 counties, 99% of the U.S. population, at the rates of homicides, guns killing, illicit drug fatalities, and finds that all three of those things are highest in the United States, 2,962 counties. They are highest in those counties where 9 out of 10 residents are white, and where President Trump won the 2016 election. Where is it safest for white people in America? White Americans who are safest from such deaths are those who live in racially diverse areas, such as Los Angeles, New York, and Chicago, where two-thirds of residents are non-white, where millions of immigrants live, and where voters favored Hillary Clinton. White Americans are eight times more likely to die from illicit drug overdoses than from murder. And when whites are murdered anywhere in the country, the murderer is five times more likely to be white than non-white. White Americans who live in predominantly white and Trump voting counties are 50% more likely to die from murder, 51% more likely to die from gun violence, 50% more likely to die from drug overdoses than whites who live in diverse and Democratic voting counties. The more white and Republican a county is, the greater the risk for white Americans something you will not hear on Fox News. Meanwhile, the evangelicals are starting to wake up. But you know what's waking them up? Is obscenity. This is insane. Paul Hardesty, uh, he's a uh, Republican congressman from rural West Virginia. And when Trump gave his rally in Greenville the other day, the one where he was, where they had the chant, you know, center back, he used the word damn preceded by the word God twice once in reference to ISIS people and once in reference to a rich guy. And because he said, gee damn, I don't think it's illegal to say this word on the air, but I just don't like it. Uh, because he said this twice in his speech, 
This congressman, Paul Hardesty, this Republican congressman from West Virginia, has gotten multiple complaints from evangelicals. Now, these are people who never, you know, no problem with Donald Trump being, you know, basically as this uh, poster over Democratic Underground defilect says, lying, stealing philanderer who's never shown an ounce of decency, who politi- whose politics hurt the least among us, who stole from his own charity, who mocks and insults and attacks, can't even quote the Bible properly. None of that bothers them. But you say, GD? Oh, no, we can't have that. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. You're listening to Tom Hartman. If you're like me, then safeguarding your money through market downturns is a clear priority. And frankly, we've seen enough market volatility to make any investor nervous. For people like us who think outside the box and read between the lines, it's becoming even more clear that the insider secret of accumulating physical gold is becoming a lot less of a secret and more of a trend. According to the World Gold Council, in 2018 alone, central bank gold purchases increased by over 74%. The bottom line is that we are starting to see the cracks forming in our economy. And the faster you take action, the better your opportunity. There's only one company I personally recommend in this industry, and that's the expert strategists at ITM Trading. They specialize in wealth protection and opportunity positioning. Both, as you know, are imperative in our current economic climate. Call my friends at ITM Trading at 1-888-OWN-GOLD. Ask for their free gold protection guide and hedge your bets like the top 1% do. Call 1-888-OWN-GOLD. That's 1-888-O-W-N-G-O-L-D. 1-888-OWN-GOLD. John in Seattle. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? Tom, thanks. This, I think, ties in both to free speech and the neoliberal Trump administration. I don't know if you've covered this, but the Trump administration in late June issued a unilateral contract with EPA and the union that represents EPA employees. And the contract was based on, basically it cripples the union, and the contract was based on not negotiation, but the Trump administration just issued a unilateral contract with the union. And right. said, so uh, take it or leave it. Or leave it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not familiar with that. I do know that with both EPA and I believe with Interior that they moved their scientists out to somewhere in the Midwest. I think it was Kansas City. And yeah, said, I think uh, they, haven't, they haven't moved scientists out of EPA, but of course they, the Trump administration doesn't recognize climate change, global warming, and they also have failed to recognize science in a major decision to keep a pesticide called pyrifos that right. causes brain damage in children. Well, they also just denied the request, I believe it was the request of one of the agencies, to put a warning label on Roundup, on glyphosate. Uh, oh, saying okay. that, that yeah. it has an association with non-Hodgkin's it, lymphoma. Well, yeah, they've, no, they've, I mean, the company's position, and I think EPA's position is still the same. Glyphosate does not cause cancer. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that Roundup doesn't cause cancer, because Roundup, the legal theory is that Roundup has formulations that have other ingredients that have right. contributed to the cancer. Hmm. Interesting, yeah, but it has been adjudicated. I mean, you know, we're talking multiple multi multi-million dollar judgments john thank you for the call thanks for you know good points all jennifer in minneapolis hey jennifer what's on your mind today hi yeah tom i just wanted to say it even goes back further neoliberalism than the horse and sparrow to the confederate mentality where Mm -hmm. they had all these 
white guys who had essentially nothing, and they were willing to fight and die in a civil war to protect the you know, few rich white guys that owned plantations with thousands of slaves. And none of these other white guys, the 99%, could even compete with that labor because you can't compete with free labor. So they never got ahead, and yet there they were, willing to fight and die, get their legs sawed off while they bit down on something in the Civil War hospital, you know? And, I mean, 750,000 people is the updated number that University of New York at Binghamton, demography historian, updated the number, the death toll. is 750,000 people died in the American Civil War. And that's what they're, you know, they're fighting about is, oh, these few, the 1% who own thousands of slaves, they should have the right because they're white and I'm white, you know, and it's like, right. really? Well, <laughs> you can't compete with that. No, I get that. And, but let's remember also that there was a draft in the South. Uh, the Confederacy had a draft, and it was very difficult to get out of unless you were wealthy. If you were a plantation owner or a professional, you could get out of the draft. But people bought their way out of the draft. I mean, there was a draft in the North, too, and Lincoln, you know, was okay with this, people buying their way out of the draft. And it was basically for wealthy people. So a lot of these people who were fighting in the Civil War, on both sides, frankly, were not fighting for principle. They were fighting because they had no choice, or at least to the best of their knowledge, they had no choice, which is a real tragedy. Well, it is, but they still seem to have that mentality where you'll see these people with the Confederate flag wrapped around them, you know, marching around for their, they call it their history or whatever, and it's like, no, it was the plantation owner. Yeah, yeah, that's that's an excellent point and an important one to make. Uh, Jennifer, thank you. Well said. Rick in Richmond, California. Hey, Rick, what's up? Yeah, I called today, Tom, on the apprenticeship programs here in our country. You had mentioned union programs that are shrinking. Right. And one of the things that is happening right now is the feds are attacking the accredited apprenticeship programs, and it's backed by the ABC. They're attacking us, saying that merit systems are the way to go, which means they're not schooled. They have no accredited apprenticeship program in our country right now, and they're attacking the very one that we do have, and that's with the building trades. Right, and this is, for people who don't know what we're talking about, when I was in Chicago a month or two ago, you know, with a bunch of union guys talking about this, unions have, you know, forever, I mean, through through literally my entire lifetime, unions have provided basically in-house training programs to certify people and bring them up to a skill level where they're employable and, you know, at a good wage and a in a good job. And the Department of Labor, the Trump Department of Labor, is trying to assert that that's unnecessary. That if somebody just goes to a for-profit online college and buys a course from Trump University, that now they're certified or now they're good enough to be hired. And that employers can ignore the agreements that they have with the unions. And this is, this is one of the real you know, value adds that unions have. Not just adding value to union membership, but adding value to our economy. Yes. One question, and then I'm done. The amount of immigrants that Russia sends to our country as compared to the amount of immigrants that are at our borders now, is it big, larger uh, people coming in from Russia or larger from our South American brothers? You're talking legal immigration? Yes. Yeah, legal immigration. Well, actually, illegal or illegal, I don't know. 
I don't know the answer to the question. I'm guessing that it's much smaller. And one of the reasons why legal immigration from Russia would be much harder, or illegal immigration, excuse me, from Russia would be much harder than illegal immigration from south of the border is that you have, if you live in Russia, you have to get a visa to visit the United States. And most people who are here illegally, the highest rate is actually among Canadians. Most people who are here illegally come here to on a visitor's pass, essentially, and then just, you know, overstay their visa. They just ignore the visa. So, Rick, thanks for the call. And that would be very difficult for a Russian because they, you know, getting the visa is this whole song and dance, right? It would be difficult for Eastern Europeans. It would be a little more difficult for Chinese unless they came in, you know, well, anybody come in completely under the radar. You know, throughout the night, we have different temperature needs. We go through these uh, roughly 40 to 50 minutes cycles of sleep. And as we go into the deeper parts of the sleep, um, we actually need a cooler temperature typically to sleep, to be comfortable and to sleep deeply than at the higher parts of that cycle. And in addition to this, these hourly cycles, there's also a cycle throughout the entire night. And now some, some, somebody, I don't know who the genius is behind this, but somebody has invented a bed that actually changes its temperature in response to your body's changing temperatures, you know, which is a way of cluing the, the bed into where you are in your sleep cycle. It's mind-boggling. It's called the Pod, and it's from a company called 8sleep, E-I-G-H-T, sleep.com, slash Tom is their website. And the Pod is the first and only high-tech bed designed to help you achieve peak mind and body performance. It helps you sleep deeper. It dynamically adjusts the temperature on each side of the bed. It's not just like one single bed. It's like two halves, right? And, and well, it's not two halves. I mean, it's one bed, but you know, each side has its own sensors, temperature sensors, and, and adjusts its own temperature. So you and your partner are both going to get the benefits of this, of this extraordinary bed. And uh, try the pod for 100 nights. And if you don't love it, they'll refund your purchase and arrange a free pickup, which is a big deal with the bed. Only at 8sleep.com slash Tom. They already sold out their first two batches. They're going fast. For limited time, you can get 150 bucks off your purchase when you go to 8sleep.com slash Tom. That's E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash T-H-O-M. 8sleep.com slash Tom. Tom Harmon here with you, and on the line with us is Bob Nay. This report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and Loving What You Do, Ellen Ratner's new book. Bob, what's up in the world today? Actually, it's Doug Christian here, but oh, I don't Doug know Christian. if the is It on. says Bob Nay. <laughs> Sorry, Doug. Well, let's see. The big news, of course, is that the Dow has risen 500 points today because Trump is delaying, of course, the tariffs right. until after December. Basically, what's been Is there any indication, Doug, that in return for that, the Chinese are going to begin buying U.S. agricultural products again? I know the production of hogs in Ireland has tripled in the last four months. Soybean production is massively increased now in Brazil. I'm assuming that these are fairly structural changes that China's making long-term commitments. Do we know if they're going to start buying U.S. agricultural products? We do again? not know that. The fact is, is that it took decades for soybean farmers to build up their market in China. And China has been playing a long game here. I haven't had any reports here in Washington that the Chinese are reinitiating with Americans. Farm. So the Midwest, the farming regions of this country will continue to get kneecapped. Right. I mean, that's what it looks like. And also the thing is that's really interesting, too, is that there has been this play going on between the Fed 
and also the Trump administration about monetary policy, because the Fed, Federal Reserve's mandate is to watch inflation, make sure that we don't go into a recession as well. And so what they've done now is they've actually, for the first time in over a decade, is reduce lending cost by a quarter point. Not because that the economy is necessarily going into recession, but they want to prevent it from doing so. And part of that is because they're concerned that this trade war could actually uh, send the economy, not just in the United States, but all over the world, over the cliff. So yeah. I think the economy all over the world is on the edge of the cliff no matter what. And to be fair, the thing is, is that it's very rare to have this kind of growth go on continually for this long. Now, this is the longest uh, business expansion cycle in the history of the United States. Exactly. And so people... It will come to an end. ...sellers are looking at this saying, yeah, we've kind of reached our limit. And yeah. if you look over the last year in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, it's risen less than 1,000 points over the course of 365 days. So, no, I mean, it's not like that surge has continued. And that's actually the lowest amount of growth that you've seen since 2008. Right. And the yield curve is inverted again. And now it's flattened to a point where it was in 2007. So I've been saying for a long, long time, the crash of 2008 never went away. It's merely been held in abeyance. You know, we didn't rebuild the dike. We're just sticking more and more fingers into it and eventually we're going to run out of fingers and those fingers right now are lower interest rates and the acquisition of toxic assets on the balance sheets of not just the u.s fed but you know central banks all over the world which is a way of bailing out stockbrokers big corporations and rich people and there are limits to how much that can be done yeah the fed is looking at it that way and of course they're not trying to play favorites here necessarily but they also look at this and say if we do not keep this economy going the alternative will be disastrous for most working class people yeah and it will be and recessions are always hard on working class people they're the ones who are hit not the banksters but this could be a really big disaster and frankly trump knows this is coming and he's trying to hold it off until after the election that's the bottom line george w bush did the exact same thing in 2007 he was in early 2008 he knew it was coming we now know that and he was just trying to hold it off until after the election in fact their hope was that everything would fall the the market would fall apart the day after the election if a democrat was elected they could blame it on the democrats say see the market doesn't like democrats that if uh, john mccain got elected they could just say hey it's a fluke but that was their plan anyhow doug what else is going on in the world well of course we've still got this uh, issue with russia having tested a nuclear-powered missile it looks like it was a missile to deliver conventional weapons, but nuclear-powered. Of course, the thing was a disaster. We tried this back in the 1950s, and it's a technology that has not come to pass. And, of course, seven people died. Nuclear scientists died in northern right. Russia. Just so people understand what you're talking about, when you say nuclear-powered, you know, people are kind of, they glaze over, because, you know, we've got nuclear-powered submarines and nuclear-powered warships. This is a rocket engine that is using nuclear power. Exactly. And that's a whole different kind of, you know, that's a whole different kettle of fish. And A lot uh, of pollution, the oh, radiation. It's insane. Delivered. It's absolutely insane. And then Trump tweets, oh, we've got the same thing? No, we don't. Or if we do, he just tweeted a huge national security secret. Doug yeah, Christian with you. Talk Media News. Thanks, Doug. Yep. You're listening to Tom Hartman.
Gary in Baden, Pennsylvania. Hey, Gary, what's up? Greed has no heart ever. It's the core of our problem. Oh, man. Having said that, and I'm going to quickly get to the point why I called. I've got the new title for your new book sometime early next year or next year. Okay. Breaking Point. Oh, that's a good one. We're there. It is. I thought it. We're absolutely there. I Breaking mean, rural America, you know, hit that, I think, a decade ago. We've seen this explosion now in rural America, you know, obesity, heart yeah. disease, type 2 diabetes. Right. It's, I mean, the, the places that are supposedly growing our food, actually, they're growing mostly they, food that's going to farm animals. But nonetheless, the people that are supposed to be growing our food are suffering malnutrition and all kinds of right. problems. Too many people in our culture, if you will, and I'm not making judgments on anybody, fail to recognize the human element. They feel that money, success is more important. It's really the other way around. Yeah. Having said that, I believe one of the core things that did start, I believe, it really dug in when Reagan became president. I think it was the decline. I think one of the major things that caused the middle class to decline is the decline, the parallel to the union movement, to unions. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't, let's not, let's not call it the decline of unions, Gary. Let's call it the destruction of unions by Reaganomics and by Ronald Reagan, because the union movement had been right. growing right up until 1981. And then at that point, you had a third of Americans unionized, which meant two thirds of Americans had the equivalent of a good union job. We're down now to 10% of Americans being unionized, only 6% in the private economy. And so 20% of Americans have the equivalent of a good a union job, or less than that, actually, because 4% is in the government sector. Right. So, Breaking point, the title of your new book. There you go. Okay, Gary, thank you very All much. All right, bye-bye. Good to hear from you. Donna in Hillsdale, Michigan. Hey, Donna, what's up? I had to correct myself when I started listening to Stephanie, because for a while I thought she was talking about our area. I have a horse. Mm -hmm. I can't get hay because the weather was so horrible, farmers couldn't get in the field. So this is as far as big ag coming in. When they come in now, usually the farms are old because all the kids move away from here. Mm -hmm. You can't find a service here at all, and so people stop taking care of their houses. They, you can't get an electrician, a plumber, a carpenter, unless you get real lucky. And so these houses just start to degrade after a while. And when the big egg comes in and buys their farm when they die, or when the kids put it up for sale or put it on the auction so they get it for pennies. Or when the family goes um, bankrupt. They just take everything. They level everything. And they take all the trees out. So they the basically... Now is, you know, it was my dream. And now it's a hardship. <laughs> wow. So when Big Ag comes in, they don't just buy the farm and rent the house back to the farmers. As Stephanie corrected me on that. That was back in the 80s under Reagan. What they do now, you're saying, is they literally take out the house and they, and they, they convert... They take everything out. They convert the yard and, and know, everything else farm, into ag Regular property. farms have hedgerows. And, you know, there's, so there's a strip of in-between fields to keep from the wind blowing all the topsoil away. There's very little topsoil left right. around here. So all of the cattle are raised in barns, calf barns, pig barns. There's no grazing animals except for Belgians and right. horses. Right. And, but the weather is part of this because... You know, they talk about the South American, the Central American immigrants coming here. They've been on a five-year drought. Right. And, and so yeah. they can't feed themselves anymore. Yep. We, we ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah. I think... <laughs> I, I, you know, now we're in a down. drought. Yeah. 
Yeah, this is climate change on top of neoliberalism, and now it's insane. Donna, thank it's you for the call. Like we're doomed. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully we can wake up enough people in this next election. We'll clean things up. Donna, thank you for the call. Don in Berkeley, California. Hey, Don, what's on your mind today? I'm about to retire. You know, I've been a good boy, paid my Social Security. I'll be getting that. I actually work at a university, so I'll be getting uh, a pension. But the third leg to that is to the investments is, is bonds and, right. and such. With the interest rates dropping, it makes it very difficult to find any kind of income. And in the bonds that I do have, let's say 5% interest, those yeah. are being called. Yeah. So it can be refinanced. And so they can run them at 2% lower. instead of 5%. Exactly. So yeah. it's going to be fun here in the future, you know, if all proceeds according to precedence. Yeah, this but, is a really tough thing for anybody, particularly anybody who's not expecting to live more than 40 years. I mean, you know, for, for people who are yeah. over 50, basically, is that, you know, you're looking for a fixed income that is predictable. And traditionally, that was bonds. You'd, you'd buy, yeah. you know, uh, and particularly tax-free bonds, although tax-free bonds are really more for high-income earners because you get the tax-free part. But you'd buy bonds and you'd get, you know, 5, 6, 7, 8%. I mean, there, were, there was a time in the 70s where you could get 12, 15% on your bonds. And now bonds are paying one and two percent at the top end and so the other thing to do is to look at at stocks that that you know reliably pay dividends which are things like you know exxon mobil and the problem there is you're buying into the stock market so yeah you might make a dividend but if the market collapses and everybody's expecting it to any day now then your investment goes to hell anyway so what do you do that's right and if, right. and if you right and if you buy an annuity, wait patiently. Right, and if you buy an annuity, you're you're buying it from a company that's heavily invested in the bond market or the stock market, and they could go belly up too. So, excellent point, Don. Thank you for calling and making it. I appreciate it. Gloria in Roberts, Illinois. Hey, Gloria, what's on your mind? I was just calling about the caller Stephanie, I believe it was. Mm -hmm. I live in a small town in the east part of central Illinois. Mm -hmm. And we're not suffering from too much rain. We're in the midst of a drought. We well, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, that has been the problem, is that in some areas there was too much rain, and in other areas there's not enough rain because the jet stream is collapsing because of global warming, and the jet stream is what pushes weather through. So what used to be a one-day rainfall now becomes a 10-day rainfall. What used to be one day of nice, warm, sunny weather now becomes two weeks of warm, sunny weather. And so what used to be rain becomes floods, and what used to be nice weather becomes droughts. Yes, ours has been like three months with, I think we've had two, two or three days where it's rained and maybe a tenth of an inch right. and the whole thing, and that's it. But Incredible. we also have farmers that have been farmers for a long time in this area, and they are not buying land. But it's not a corporation. It's a foreign person, like Canada or oh, China. Yeah. Foreign investors. And they're, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're buying up U.S. real estate. In fact, about 10% of U.S. real estate is now foreign-owned. One-third, no, one-fifth of all U.S. assets are now foreign-owned. It's, it's amazing. Gloria, thank you. Thank you for the call, and thanks for the information. Charles in uh, Fountain Valley, California. Hey, Charles, what's up? Well, let me just segue off of 40 years of Reaganomics, and the Democrats are frightening as they campaign. They're so ready to talk about the problem that the 
billionaire class real and corporate persons has had a free ride over the last 40 years. You were speaking of it tangentially, talking about neoliberalism and breaking their taxes as part of that. In fact, of the candidates, only Bill de Blasio in his five minutes at the second debate spoke to it. He spoke to the reality, and all of the Democrats do. The rich aren't paying their taxes, but de Blasio talked about what needed to be done. If I'm elected president, he concluded his five minutes, I will tax the hell out of them. And yeah. for 40 years, the top bracket has been lowered. Right. This is how inequality has exploded in the United States, was doubling down on it, the Reagan tax cuts. Exactly. And I wonder if you would agree. I see it as when wealth is concentrated in just a few people of the overall economy, that's wealth removed from the general economy of goods and services. No, absolutely. That's absolutely right. Oh, yeah. Rich people might buy a yacht from time to time, but uh, as one of the founders of what is it, progressive millionaires or something like that, there's a group of, of, of millionaires who are advocating for raising their own taxes. He said to me, uh, Nick Hanauer, I think his name was, he said, you know, I may make 10,000 times more than you do, but I can't buy 10,000 more pairs of jeans. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. All right, I guess it's not so much he can't, but why would he, right? And so, you know, their money is not going into the productive economy. It's going into, quote, savings. Chris in Salem, Oregon. Hey, Chris, what's up? Hey, Tom. You know, I'm just kind of listening to all these callers talking about rural America. And Mm -hmm. uh, I live in Illinois, about 120 miles west of Chicago, so pretty much close to Iowa. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what Stephanie said about the um, farming industry, I don't have a lot to add there, but I'm really thinking about maybe how her area is being affected and how maybe that's similar to what's going on here. So what's going on there? Well, a lot of people are struggling <laughs> is what's happening. Mm-hmm. We're seeing stores close down. The mall had the Bergners and the J.C. Pennies. They closed down in just the last three years here. All these retail stores in between, that mall, it's not going to be able to survive. People just, they can't get a good job and we don't know why. We don't know who to blame. It's not for lack of trying. Mm-hmm. And anyways, I just I have so many family members that are struggling. There used to be laws called antitrust laws that were enforced. Reagan stopped enforcing them in 1982. There used to be antitrust laws on the books that prevented big companies from getting so big that they could wipe out the ability of small companies to compete. And when Reagan stopped enforcing the antitrust laws, you saw the growth in the retail industry, for example, of the Walmarts. You know, the average Walmart comes into a community, it puts 120 businesses out of business. You saw the growth of, you know, we went from literally having thousands of mid-size and small agricultural companies in supporting farmers, uh, retailing product, wholesaling product, supplying seed, all kinds of things, to now having four companies basically completely dominate the agriculture industry in the United States. Three companies own 80% of all meat production in the United States, for example. Um, We have three Walmarts here and a Walmart distribution center. There you go. And so you're making my case. If you want to know what wiped out rural America, it was the Reagan administration's policy of no longer enforcing the Sherman Antitrust Act. And And I tell you what's increasing is food banks, shelters. You know, people are going to places to get free clothing now because they can't even afford to go to the store. Yeah, it's very sad. Julie, thank you for the call. Thanks for sharing your story with us. I appreciate that. 
We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It's not something that just falls out of the sky, you know, or comes with the news. It's something that requires a little bit of work on the part of all of us, which means showing up, which means participating, which means volunteering for your political party to be there. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 